Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Julianne Potter from My Best Friend's Wedding. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest, Kate Reed. Welcome back, Kate. Thanks for having me. I am very excited for this one. This is one of your favorite films, if not your favorite. It is top three, in different days, different favorite movie, but it is always at the top. I think it's a good attitude to have. Like if someone says like, what's your favorite X, Y, or Z, especially when it comes to media, everyone freezes. Cause it's like, whatever I say is going to be a massive value judgment. <laughs> I think it's much safer to say, what is one of your favorite <laughs> films or books or, you know, TV shows. Great point. Great point. Uh, much less pressure uh, on that at that point. Yes. Uh, so my best friend's wedding is a 1997 romantic comedy starring Julia Roberts as Julianne Jules Potter, uh, Dermot Mulroney as Michael O'Neill and Cameron Diaz as Kimmy Wallace and also Rupert Everett as George Downs. Don't, I can't forget Rupert Everett here. Uh, it was written by Ronald Bass and directed by PJ Hogan. And it tells the story of Julianne realizing she is in love with Michael when he is getting married in four days. Do you remember when you first watched my best friend's wedding, Kate? I vividly remember. Oh, it's a core memory. (laughs) (laughs) It is a prime childhood memory. I was nine years old. It came out in 1997. And I was in Hawaii visiting our Aunt Beth Mm -hmm. um, with our sister, Virginia. And we were just out there on a vacation. And, well, our aunt lived there. And just... The, it was the weekend the movie came out and they wanted to see it. And so I tagged along as a young child. And I don't know if I fully got it as a nine-year-old, but I had a great time, especially with the song scene. And they do swear at one point in it. I remember my aunt like grabbing me and be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I I didn't understand what I was hearing at that age, but um, I do remember seeing it there and then I've watched it many, many, many times since. Yeah, I... um... I cannot remember when I actually first saw it. So this came would have come out when I was in high school and in the summer, which means there is a chance. So every summer when I was in high school, I would go to cross-country camp for a week. And one night at cross-country camp, we would go to the small a southern Utah town movie theater, which would be showing two movies, only two movies. <laughs> and you could go choose which movie you wanted to go see. Uh, and I remember, like... I cannot remember all the choices that we had, but I also do vividly remember sometimes there was like a romantic comedy that a lot of the girls were going to go see. And so a lot mm. of guys were like, Oh, should we go see that one with the girls? Or there's an action movie over in the other one. <laughs> and it's possible. I saw this then, or it's possible. I saw it like when it was on VHS. Cause we definitely had it in our house. Uh, on definitely. VHS. uh when it Oof, came out, but VHS. <laughs> the, the, I mean, this uh, like 1997, that's when I was getting into like full movie geek phase where like I was tracking everything that was coming out and wanted to be aware of and like would have been no like know the career of Julia Roberts and that kind of things. Um so um I definitely remember it from the 90s. Uh and, and when it came out. Uh and 
Well, I guess let's do the trivia and uh, then the summary, and then we'll, we'll we'll get into some of our, our takes on this. So, My Best Friend's <laughs> Wedding. It has a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you feel it's high or low? That's too low. Way too, too low. Just shocking. <laughs> <laughs> it's about what I expect, actually, I think, for it. Like, it feels about right, but, like, my personal taste is like, oh, I think it probably should be rated a little higher than that. Um, for you, I'm surprised it's actually that high. Higher. Usually, usually they go way low with rom-coms so yeah both um rom-coms but then also this ends up being a bit subversive as a rom-com and doesn't actually Mm -hmm. uh like give you the happy ending that i think people expect from romantic comedy from hollywood i can't wait to talk about that yeah so i i could see that hurting and so when i said like it feels probably about right i think there's probably some people that are like well it's not actually like the most satisfying film in the end if that's what they were hoping for um, on that note, the studio did not have any faith in this film. <laughs> they thought they had a bomb on their hands. And so they chose to open it against a certain blockbuster that they hoped they could maybe just catch some like people. Oh, the thing I want to go see is sold out. What else can we go see? More than like people going to see this film. That mm-hmm. certain blockbuster was Batman and Robin starring George Clooney as Batman. Oh, dear. <laughs> and uh everyone like at the time from what i saw in articles uh when this was announced that they were gonna do this as like counter programming with batman and robin it was just like oh the studio's waving a white flag they know this one's not going to carry it on its own um however <laughs> batman and robin didn't do very well my best friend's <laughs> wedding ended up having a much longer run of success than was expected so batman and robin made 43 million on its opening weekend but it ended up only making $107 million at the U.S. box office. My Best Friend's Wedding made $27 million its opening weekend, so it definitely lost the opening weekend. But it stayed That's in the top lot. 10 for six straight weeks and made $127 million at the domestic box office. It made more than Batman and Robin by $20 million in the end. Oh, my gosh. And uh, even at the global box office, Batman and Robin ended up with $238 million, and My Best Friend's Wedding made $299 million at the global box when? office. Will they learn the power of women? I know. This is still going on today. <laughs> How has this not been just the formula they get of like, oh, women will show up for a rom-com. <laughs> it's just, well, it's just like such a, like, it's half the human population. Why would we make a movie for them? <laughs> Can't be bothered. Um, do you have the numbers of cost of production versus each other? Uh, oh, I, I don't uh, hear in my notes, but I will promise you that <laughs> Batman and Robin had a much higher uh, cost. I always like seeing those margins of like, yeah, we spent this little and made this much. And- I mean, I, I, I maybe uh, when we're having a, a discussion and uh, you're carrying a, a bit later, maybe I'll go I'll poke around and see if I can find it. I would, I'm going to guess the budget for my best friend's writing in the 90s was probably in like the 10 to $20 million range, right? like no more than that. Uh, had Julian Roberts do, done Pretty Woman yet? Was yes. Years. Uh, so this was... is interesting because oh, I I don't know whether we want to get into this right now, but like oh sorry, jumping the gun. No, it, it's the idea of Julia Roberts. Like she is associated with romantic comedies. She actually hasn't made a ton of romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but somehow, even when this was coming out, it was just known. It's like, oh, the Julia Roberts, Roberts uh, romantic comedy uh, is going to be coming out. And then it's uh, and like this one's so subversive. It's like a counter romantic comedy. But it's like, you know, she 
<laughs> she doesn't do tons and tons of romantic comedies uh so yeah she, they're, they're, they're always a little different they're not like you know the formula she'd done pretty pretty woman in 1990 uh oh i didn't know it was that yeah much earlier and then um this is like the next as i'm looking at her filmography obvious uh, or, or at least known romantic comedy is 1997 <laughs> it's my best friend's wedding okay, and then she's gonna do Robert, runaway bride in 1999 um which is also not the most conventional yeah rom-com but like after pretty woman she's gonna do things like uh, uh let's see here hook uh <laughs> where she's <laughs> Bell, uh the pelican brief uh which i believe is a thriller um uh, let's see um uh i've never seen it but uh let's see something to talk about that sounds like it could be a romantic comedy i'm gonna click on it let's see it says comedy drama so i don't know uh for that um uh yeah but even when my best friend's wedding was coming out it was like oh the romantic comedy queen (laughs) oh not notting hill is in 99 so between Mm -hmm. those four like those are the four big ones i would say uh it's pretty woman uh my best friend's wedding and then runaway bride and notting hill are both in 99 so uh, these three in like such close proximity it makes sense to start talking about it that way but even then my best friend's wedding was the first one of those three that's so interesting and it feels like you're coming in like loaded with the preconceptions of a julia roberts romantic comedy definitely yeah um all right the director of my best friends reading has mentioned that he wanted to make a stealth musical and he did (laughs) (laughs) so it opens with like a straight up musical number uh like the credits it's kind of Uh like an uh, an old-timey one and then we have the karaoke scene. We've got the singing in the restaurant. We've got the uh, idiot boys with the helium <laughs> singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's one or two more even. Uh, ones. George sings too. Oh, yeah, George singing. Yeah. Yeah, so he made a stealth musical, uh, which I guess I'll jump ahead. There was a stage musical uh, that was due to premiere in the UK in September 2020. It has never been produced because of COVID. Oh, man. But this is one that, like, once you hear, like, oh, a stage musical of My Master's Wedding, it's like, oh, I already know some of the musical numbers that are going to be in there. It works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. Uh, some actors that were in contention for the role of Michael. Have, have you seen this list? No, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Okay, tell me if you can imagine. This is the Dermot Mulroney role, the, yeah, the, the, the best iconic, friend that she's in iconic. love with. Uh, so can you see Matthew McConaughey as Michael? No. Edward Burns. Matthew Perry. Maybe, maybe. What about Matthew Perry? No. The director's first choice, Russell Crowe. It can't be real. <laughs> no, it is real. The Russell, the director wanted Russell Crowe, got Russell Crowe to a table read with Julia Roberts. Russell Crowe apparently did very little prep because he knew the director wanted him. <laughs> and uh, from there was some oral history or something that I read. This was apparently one of the worst table re- reads in history. But as he was leaving, like Russell Crowe was like, yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> 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 video of that table read so <laughs> all right some actresses who auditioned for kimmy the uh young fiance could you right, see right. drew barrymore oh uh, i mean like i could but i want to want to yeah i mean this is almost um like 
I bet if I had you guess, you'd get these. Now I'm not gonna make you do that because because but it's also uh, Reese Witherspoon and Calista Flockhart. It's like oh okay, okay, nineties. <laughs> okay. Like I can see every single one of those being ones that the studio said, hey, go read this actress. Uh, but like, thank goodness Cameron Diaz got it. Yes. Um, the role of George, we actually I don't uh, I couldn't find a whole lot of people to consider it because when they were casting, the role was small, uh, and so a lot of people most actors wouldn't even like look at it because it wasn't going to be big enough uh mm-hmm. julia roberts reportedly wanted benicio del toro as george mm-hmm. um and everett's agent pushed for him to get the role and uh he was able to do a table reading uh and after the screen test went well they're like they were already thinking of expanding the role role but they uh they they did the rewrite with rupert everett's voice in mind and and expanded the role throughout the film to me there is no film without George. He is the glue of the whole film. And just Rupert Everett is just so fantastic. Oh, yes. It has to be Rupert Everett. I cannot imagine. It, it was, there's, there's no one else. Yeah. Um. Okay. So one reason why the studio thought they might have a bomb on their film or a bomb on their hands in this film was that the original ending sees Julianne uh, sitting alone at the wedding. Uh, you know, the wedding has, has happened. Her best friend and the fiance are now now married. But then uh, John Corbett shows up and takes her to the dance floor. And they have a flirtatious good time to end the film. Uh, John Corbett is from uh, Northern Exposure and my big uh, my big fat Greek wedding. Uh, so uh, like get that actors, you know, classically handsome actor shows up and flirts with Julianne. And that's kind of like the feel good ending for for the film. Lovely and- man. Terrible ending. Oh yeah, test audiences hated this finale. You do not see John Corbett in the final film at all. <laughs> Which that's got to be rough when you like you film a scene with Julia Roberts and it will never ever see the light of day. That's tough, but <laughs> uh, the studio panicked. Um, they uh, didn't know what to do, and uh, Jerry Zucker, uh, director, was at a preview uh, of this and was talking with the director, and he said, "Audiences." liked most of the film until Julia Roberts's character gets off too easy. <laughs> and, there, and he said, you've, you've got to make her like, she's not likable and you can't reward her at the end of the film. So they did some research uh, reshoots. Uh, so also in that original version of the film, Kimmy forgives Julianne when they uh, meet up after the big chase scene. Uh, and in the reshoots, uh, Kimmy's going to yell <laughs> at her. And they uh, swapped out John Corbett at the wedding for Julianne's, uh, uh, I think the director said, her true best friend is George, <laughs> oh, <laughs> who was lovely. a fan favorite character that had been absent from the finale. Like after George left, we don't see him again uh, in the original cut of the film. And so they brought him back uh, for this. And it definitely, I think, works much. Like even hearing that original version, it's like, mm, no. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. So this film has been remade twice in foreign countries. Do you want to guess what countries have done remakes? Oh, um, India? No, though I could Bollywood this version would be of fantastic. this. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, please make it. <laughs> yes. Why why haven't they? <laughs> no. It was a there was a Chinese remake in 2016 Ooh. and then also a Mexican remake in 2019. Oh. And the last trivia on everything that I looked up for trivia, it was like, there's a stage musical that was written. It's just never been made or performed. Let's bring that back to light. So maybe someday. 
All right. Uh, before we jump into the summary of the film, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And we also give updates on our fantasy box office game. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. On to the spoiler summary. So Julianne Jules Potter is a New York food critic who is about to turn 28. I have to say. <laughs> Start right there. <laughs> watching this, which which <laughs> uh, I, I I probably saw it several times uh, as a teenager in my, in my early 20s, did a long gap. And then Emily and I watched it once. And then I, I we watched it with, with you when we went to visit you. Uh, and then... We watched it for this podcast. That age feels so different when I'm on the other side of 28 than it did when I was a teenager. Absurd. (laughs) Both the level that her career seems to be at, where she is a renowned New York City food critic. But also who lived in New York at 28, you are not at the peak of your career. No. 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 No, that's just not happening. But also that she is so scared of life at 29 (laughs) that she and her best friend made a deal that they would get married to each other if they're both single at 28. Call it it. 27, couldn't find love. Moving on. Uh, Again, this is something that I don't think ever crossed my mind when I was a teenager, but it definitely stands out now that I'm in my 40s watching this film. Really? Okay. I mean, Julia Roberts, I think, was 29 when they made the film, so... There is that, but really? (laughs) (laughs) You could say 30. Why did it 28? Uh, So her best friend, Michael, is going to call her, and she is going to remember the pact that they made, that they would, if they're both single at 28, they're going to marry each other, because spinsterhood is the next step. (laughs) Uh, But he's not calling to remind her of their pact. He's calling to tell her that he is engaged to a 20-year-old college student named Kimmy Wallace. This is another thing that I don't remember ever catching on. Feels young. <laughs> they could have made her 22 and finishing college. Don't know why. I mean, at least they made her 20. Yes, but he's 28. And that, that <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Kimmy Wallace, his fiance, her dad owns the Chicago White Sox. Michael's a low-level sports writer. He has not you know, made it to the peak of his career the way that Julianne has in New York City. The levels of their careers could not be more opposite. <laughs> He's like today he would be a, like a blogger writing about his favorite team. <laughs> uh, uh, Julianne decides she is romantically in love with Michael and must sabotage his wedding. So Julianne's going to go to Chicago and Kimmy is going to ask her to be her maid of honor even though they just met. To try and embarrass Kimmy, Julianne's going to take them out to a karaoke bar because she knows that Michael loves karaoke, but Kimmy says she's not very good at singing. But Kimmy's effort to sing through intense stage fright and social anxiety that is debilitating. (laughs) Uh, This actually wins Michael over and the whole karaoke bar. Uh, And even Julianne has to give a little smile of recognition to Kimmy (laughs) for this, which I will say... Uh, in reading, Julie uh, Julie Roberts hated that the director made her smile. 
on this. Uh, she wanted to play it as though she was seething in anger that her plot had been foiled. Uh, the director's like, we have to have the audience like you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you are the main character. And Julia Roberts reportedly said, I will give you one take where I give you a half smile of acknowledgement that Kimmy won the room over. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> uh, the director's right. <laughs> like, we're going to end up not liking uh, Julianne uh, at, at a certain point in this film, but that would be too early, I think, to like be full on against her. So yeah. um, Julianne's going to call her friend George to come out and help her in breaking up this engagement. <laughs> George, who is gay, suggests that Julianne should just have an honest conversation with Michael. Uh, <laughs> Julianne That's refuses simple. to do that. So when George <laughs> arrives, um, uh, well, she's going to surprise everyone, especially George, by announcing that she and George are engaged. Again, George is gay. <laughs> George, though, is going to play along and decide to just like amp this up to 11 to embarrass Julia, Julia or Julianne. Uh, so he's going to get an entire restaurant to break into a rendition of I Say a Little Prayer for You. Uh, then he's going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Julianne tells Michael that she broke it off with George. And Michael admits that he was just a little bit jealous. Uh, but Jules does not take this moment to have that honest conversation that she is in love with him. It's right there, but nope. <laughs> uh, instead, she is going to sneak into Kimmy's father's office and forge an email from Kimmy's dad to Michael's boss, in which she is going to uh, ask that Michael's boss fire Michael so that he can be hired to work for the White Sox organization because Kimmy wants him to have more stability than his sports writing job allows. Uh, when Michael's boss gets the email that he believes is from Kimmy's dad, he's going to call Michael and tell him what it says. And Michael is going to call Kimmy to cancel the wedding because he doesn't think Kimmy has any belief in him as a sports writer. And this is just, you know, it's too much. Um, this is where the audience needs to be hating Julianne. <laughs> And saying, oh, you've crossed many lines now. I mean, Too you were far. towing the line, but now you have leapt across it. It's like an Olympic triple jump. Uh, in the morning, Julianne realizes uh, that nobody other than Michael and Kimmy know that the wedding has been called off. And so she's going to try and get them to officially break up. Uh, but instead, Michael and Kimmy are going to end up reconciling. Jules pulls Michael aside and confesses his love, uh, her her love to him, and kisses him, which Kimmy sees. Uh, but rather than falling head over heels in love with Julianne, Michael is going to chase after Kimmy, and Julianne is going to chase after Michael, and it's a delightfully absurd farcical chase. Uh, eventually, Jules reaches Michael, and he explains that this uh, they're in. Uh, is it Grand Central Station? Is that where they're at? Well, they're not in. They're not in New York. They're oh, in you're Chicago's. right. Oh, you're in Chicago. Right. Wrong station. I don't know what the train station is. Main station in Chicago. Sorry. Uh, but he's going to say, this is where I proposed to Kimmy. I was hoping I'd find her here. Julianne says, you know what? I, I messed up. I, I'll help you find Kimmy. And he lo she locates her crying in the bathroom. <laughs> A crowd forms as Kimmy confronts Julianne <laughs> about kissing her fiance on the day of the wedding. <laughs> and uh, this is where she actually gets to be angry instead of the earlier version where I guess they were just going to hug and make up right here. Oh, that is... <laughs> not how it would go <laughs> no. uh julianne apologizes and says that michael only loves kimmy and is looking for her now the wedding goes forward and julianne sits alone at the reception until her friend george has flown back to chicago and arrives to dance with her the end i like that Fantastic. little bit of solace for, <laughs> for for julia roberts character uh but not like oh hey look now you get to have your own romantic 
relationship. No, no, you're you're not in a place to be. No, you need to do some real soul searching. (laughs) (laughs) You need to fix some things. All right, I'm going to read a little quote from Roger Ebert's review of the film. And I always love reading Roger Ebert's reviews and then realizing that he probably like saw a film on Monday and wrote this to be published on Friday. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> uh, or, you know, maybe, maybe he saw it like the previous week, but he's just one viewing and he's going to whip some stuff off like this. One of the pleasures of Ronald Bass's screenplay is the way it subverts the usual comic formulas that would fuel a plot like this. It makes the Julia Roberts character sympathetic at first, but eventually her behavior shades into cruel meddling. It gives Kimmy Wallace, Cameron Diaz, the fiance, goodness and warmth instead of a ditzy facade. It makes Michael an intelligent player in the drama rather than the easily manipulated male we might expect. And out of left field, it brings in another character, George, who is Julianne's editor, gay, playfully, uh, gay and playfully wise. That makes the third act surprisingly interesting. We don't have any idea what will happen. The screenplay has never been on autopilot. It just fooled us into thinking it was in order to sneak up on the unpredictability. Bass, who wrote this as an original, has credits including some of the best recent women's roles. Sleeping with the Enemy, The Joy Luck Club, When a Man Loves a Woman, Dangerous Minds, Waiting to Exhale. Here, he takes a romantic formula, turns it inside out, and adds a wild card in the character of George, who is played by Rupert Everett as a man comfortable with himself and insightful about others. He gives Julianne the only advice that could ever work. Tell him you love him, even though it may come too late fantastic yeah okay so what do you want to say about the film now kate <laughs> let me throw in my <laughs> uh, uh yeah it, it's uh, that subversion i think is what makes this film stand out um mm-hmm. as as a romantic comedy where we do get so many of the tropes that we associate with the genre of romantic comedy and but we don't get the happy ending which ends up with like the uh it's kind of like uh in genre theory, sometimes when you're assigning what genre or work goes to, it's kind of like, well, what fits it best? It's like, well, where else would you assign it? Like, this isn't actually the full happy ending of the romantic comedy, which is mm-hmm. a core part of romantic comedy. But also, what else would you call it? What it's like, it's like uh, some people are like, well, Batman's not a superhero because he doesn't have superhero powers. It's like, okay, but what else are you going to call Batman? <laughs> it's like he is in the superhero right. genre. It's like, this is where we're at. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of what I feel like with my best friend's wedding. It's like, is it a romantic comedy? Well, there's a big, big red flag, but also there's no other genre that I would possibly label this as. Just, just a comedy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's what makes this so special. I think is that complete subversion in that, in that final act where you're like, wait, how is this going to end? <laughs> yeah. I like what he said that you have, it gets to that third act and you're like, wait, I don't know what's going to happen. This isn't following what I thought it was going to do. Yes. And, and a lot of romantic comedies, which is an incredibly successful genre, both uh, like traditionally for big Hollywood releases, much less in the age of streaming. A lot of romantic comedies have been shifted over streaming. But I mean, think about the whole Hallmark uh, mill of stories that are, you know, romances. A huge part of the appeal of that genre is the knowledge that these these people are going to get together in the end. And I'm just seeing how they do it. <laughs> I, like, I, I like knowing this is where we're going to end up. It's just the journey that's mm-hmm. fun that we're taking. And that's the, that's the great appeal for a lot of people. Yeah. And this film does not. It, it takes a screeching U-turn. But it also <laughs> makes you, I, I think we, I mean, we've, we've talked about it. We are uncomfortable with the idea of, of it giving us that happy ending. Uh, and 
I, I think I'm surprised the tweaks that the studio demanded weren't to make the Julia Roberts character more likable. <laughs> yeah. Instead, the tweaks were, uh, no, make everyone angrier at her. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want them to end up together at the end. It's, no one wants that Yeah. scenario as you're watching it. And again, uh, like so much, of, even today, like the commentary I see is, is about this as I was like poking around and seeing like there was uh, a couple recent articles about it uh, and some retrospectives and, you know, they, they were getting some of the behind the scenes crew. Uh, they, they like it, it, it's inevitable. They mentioned like this kind of like uh, playing against the Julia Roberts romantic comedy idea. And it's like, how powerful is Pretty Woman <laughs> as, a, as a film in the zeitgeist? <laughs> that, that was defining the, the, the Julia Roberts romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Uh, what is, so this is one of your top films. One of your top three, you say. Uh, and, and kind of always a possible, you know, possibility to pull it out if asked about what, what your favorite film is. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it about the film that stands out so much for you that that makes it kind of grab on and and like you said it, it became like a, 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 a just a, a vivid memory when you first saw this? Oh gosh, um, to me it's perfect film. It's so entertaining. It's so perfectly paced. It's not a happy ending, which I love for some reason. I don't. I could not explain to you why I love that it's not happy ending for julia and robert i keep saying julia and robert julia robert i know because the character is julia i <laughs> wish they had changed that just a little bit <laughs> it's very hard um i don't know what like i could never pinpoint exactly what it is but it's just magical film like it just hits all the things you want in a film like you laugh there's music the soundtrack's great there's absurdity like you want a scene of somebody chasing somebody through a train station in a romantic comedy like you want that moment but you also want the the timid young girl to scream back at her and and tell her off for what she's done like it just hits everything you want out of from these characters nothing feels like oh i wish it wasn't like that or i wish they didn't get away with this like everyone got what they deserved in the end yeah, uh, I, I think you're you're definitely onto something with that idea that the, you know the, the the characters are getting uh, in the end the, you know the version that we actually get the the balance has been struck. <laughs> uh, yeah, of uh, the the comeuppance is is what's been earned, or the reward is what's been earned. Like Kimmy actually earns a happily ever after. Uh, Jules does not. Uh, with Jules this. does not love Michael. No, Jules does not want to lose Michael, but she doesn't love him. Well, like, the way you put that, she doesn't want to lose like the option of Michael. Yes. She doesn't want to lose her best friend. She doesn't want to lose him as like the backup plan, but she's not in love with him. Like there's nothing. Like, there's a reason she doesn't tell him in so many moments. And then there's a reason it's just right before his wedding that she's like, okay, I'll do it now. That it's, it's not out of love. It's out of a panic. I, yes, I, and I think that's really important. That idea of a panic is actually her motivation for so many of these decisions, which is why they keep getting worse <laughs> as, <laughs> as it's going along, uh, and, and that's why her like just having full on 
uh, hatred of, of Kimmy at the karaoke bar maybe was too soon because she's not panicked enough because there's still, you know, a couple days <laughs> where I'll be able to work my magic. Um, I'll win them over. I do it all the time. And then out of panic, she's going to write the email. And I think to soften it just enough, the movie gives us the plot that she doesn't actually send the email. She puts it into the drafts and is thinking about, like, can I get back in and send it if I need to? Uh, But then the secretary has been ordered to send all the drafts out. uh, because hilarious that that, (laughs) that's... Old tech alert. (laughs) Send out my drafts. (laughs) Yes. And, like, the login. Like, the the, the way we see the computer. Like, I actually love it when period... like, Like... I say period pieces, but like when, when old period piece, <laughs> old movies like give us the actual tech exactly as it was instead of trying to make it some sort of like timeless vague thing. It's like no, show us exactly what it looked like in 1997 when you wanted to log in to send yeah. an email. <laughs> uh, and, and so to soften that just a little bit, but you still like the whole time she's writing that email. Like I, I. Uh, Part of me is now saying I definitely saw this in the theater because I have like a sense of like attention in the in in, in like a group setting of watching this of like just mm. this palpable of like oh no you're crossing a line this is going way too far right here it's too far and but even that action it was passive in that oh it will break them up and I can keep him but I'm not actually admitting to him that I love him like I'm not telling him anything it's just destroying their relationship you're right it's not getting him together with her yes. I Nothing's never thought admitted. about it this way. Nothing's oh, like, I think you're honestly oh, really I, important about this. Yeah. Like they do that so well that nothing of their actions are expression of love until the very end panic moment. And that kiss, uh, when it happens, like there's no tension that this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> no one's into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, like no one in the audience is like, yay, it's the big happy kiss at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well done in that it's like a back to Kimmy of like panic. What just happened? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you're, I, I never thought about it exactly how you're putting it, but absolutely her, her actions aren't to get together with him. It is to keep him as an option. <laughs> yes. Essentially. Uh, until that, that pure panic and, and reading the whole film as like panic is your motivator. Definitely uh, makes sense. Uh, even when she gets that first phone call, uh, of, um, you know, that is the shock of it of like, Oh, I can't lose him. Mm -hmm. Not, Oh, I'm in love with him and it should be my wedding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's not a realization of like, Oh, I've loved him this whole time. It's like, no, he was mine for nine years. He was mine this whole time. Like why, why is she taking him away from me? Yeah. I, I think, it's I don't know why this film has such a hold when the protagonist is so unlikable. Like she is, she's not a good person. (laughs) (laughs) And and yet, uh, you know, this is a a really well remembered 1997 film. Like I said, I I found retrospectives from recent years of people going back and revisiting it, digging up the crew and, you know, the, 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 some of the behind the scenes people, Uh, this is still has a hold. Um, but the, the main character is pretty awful. (laughs) But it's realistic. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, not like people would actually do this. Although spoiler alert, I do have a friend who did pull a guy the night before his wedding and tell him to 
pick me and not his fiance. She went full Julia Roberts. Yes. So I, she had told me I cannot watch this film because I lived it. And I said, I need more details. <laughs> and she said, she just told him the night before, like, no, pick me, I, like marry me. And he said, no, thank you. <laughs> Which I will just say, knowing nothing of this woman, that was the right call. Because <laughs> if you're at a point in your life where you are doing that action, you might not be ready for marriage. <laughs> it might not be the right time for her. Yes. I'm sure she she's married. matured. Well, it's questionable. But <laughs> he married the, the fiance and that is that. And she is living her life separate from him. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think the the character's relatable in that you kind of almost want to be her like oh I wish I was like this I wish I was kind of erratic and just could do these sorts of things when I feel these emotions but I'll never do it but I can watch her do it right there's a boldness uh to to her actions that like you said it kind of feels like ah oh, you know I wish um I could be that assertive uh, which I again like I think one of the nitpicks that we have is that she's not actually assertive about what she wants uh she's she's assertive about worrying what she may lose yeah yeah um but it, it it is really um a fine line that i think the film does a pretty good job of walking which is why that it still holds up uh even like we said the, the protagonist is not a great character but i you do end up i think there are characters you love and in the end you have hope because george seems to be someone who actually has his head on straight <laughs> Um, that that he's going to help her to mature, <laughs> like to pull out of this uh, emotional yes. spiral that she's thrown herself into. Uh, her and, true and, best friend. Yes. <laughs> Which immediately, by the way, once I saw that phrase of, uh, I think it was the director who said that, like her true best friend is George. I'm like, why isn't there a sequel of My Best Friend's Wedding, which is about George's wedding? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be a delightful farce. Like, just go That's full perfect. farce on George's wedding. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, in terms of characters that you love, I do want to talk about Kimmy because mm -hmm. I don't think she gets talked about enough. But I think the confidence that Kimmy possesses to bring in her fiance's best friend who is a woman and say i'm you're in this wedding also like he's mine if you wanted him you could probably have him but I, i'm telling you he's mine like is incredible like she's so confident in her relationship with him but it's not really realistic that she's 20 years old yeah i i really think they should have aged her up to like 24 or yeah. or, or like 20 23 just out of college maybe she could gear off at some point and you know graduating like, college why did you have to make her like oh i'm dropping out to follow his career even though i want to be an architect okay. i'm glad you said unnecessary that. That's a, a note i had <laughs> as well especially when it's like her dad owns the white socks <laughs> um she can pursue this opportunity and it's not gonna disrupt <laughs> too much <laughs> they'll be fine <laughs> yes yeah um and somehow in some ways i almost feel like maybe this is a like a remnant of an earlier draft where she was gonna be played very differently or there was gonna be uh like suspicion that uh george was only marrying her for like the potential business connections of the white thought or Michael. that he's being mercenary and yeah. and marrying uh the daughter of a, of a 
must be a multimillionaire or a billionaire today if you're going to own a sports team. Mm-hmm. Um, and and none of that tension is ever there uh, as far as the relationship between Kimmy and George. Uh, so I'm wondering if it's in some ways a Michael. remnant of like an earlier idea in the draft that if, if we were going to break them up, there was something that was maybe not just pure love between them. Oh, that's that's interesting. But but what we have is just oh he's in love with her again. Make her a little bit older, and it doesn't feel as creepy as it kind of does. <laughs> well, I'm just like, how did they meet? How what's their story? Like, mm-hmm. but, um, and I think because we'd been told that she was 20 years old, I initially read that as naive. I think we come to see that there's a lot more depth to Kimmy than just a naive 20 year old. Uh, yeah, but that's my first thought. I I think with 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 that interaction. Because uh, I could see her as naive, except for there's a scene in the elevator where she stops it. And she's oh, you know, right. always, always going to love you with this perfect woman on a pedestal. Like, I can't compete. Tell me, like, you don't want him. And, you know, that's such confidence to pull that kind of stunt. Where I don't think anyone naive would do that. You're right. Uh, I, I We see she meets her in the car before then. Maybe it's like during the car scene. Uh, like that's my first read on it. But I think mm-hmm. you you are absolutely right. That there's kind of ditzy and just like weaving through traffic. Like, oh, my exit. And like, oh, her driving is terrifying. Yeah. But iconic. Absolutely iconic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's interesting because I think by the end of the film, we're supposed to like be fully in love with Kimmy. Uh, and... Uh, like, like, know that this was the right choice. That opening introduction to her as she's weaving through the traffic, not the greatest character introduction <laughs> uh, ever to make you like trust that this is a, a responsible person ready for marriage. <laughs> but uh, it, I think it's part of the inversion that we get, where like there's enough trust that Julia Roberts has enough banked goodwill that we're going to love Julia Roberts' character uh, initially, and then we kind of learn, no, wait. Maybe I don't. And <laughs> we are kind of like uncertain of Kimmy. And like, should this, is this a relationship that should be broken up? I think is a, a tension that we're supposed to feel as we're expecting a traditional happy ending uh, for, for a romantic comedy. And right. they, that's part, uh, I think that's a deliberate choice to like give us that uncertain footing at the very beginning for who Kimmy is. And then we actually learn, oh, like as an audience, we were also rooting for her because of that karaoke performance. Um, just like Michael's, which Cameron Diaz with her, yeah. Oh my goodness, what a performance of stage fright and uh, j- just terror uh, as she sings. What, what is the song that she sings there? Um, I'm getting the restaurant one mixed in. Um, so, oh, I can hear it in my head. And I can't think of the lyrics. I just, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. Oh right, Ta-da. just don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Random trivia that I saw the the I say a little prayer um actually made the Billboard Hot 100 after this film <laughs> came oh. out again <laughs> like like it jumped up again. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that performance is so amazing uh, by Cameron Diaz. I think it's one of those performances. Um, like we I recently talked about uh, uh, so recently I I uh at the time of this recording, not when this is gonna be released, I think, but recently I recorded an episode where we were talking about that thing you do. And um, some of like the young uh, performances in that thing you do, where it's like, oh, these people are going to do fine. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 
their their careers are going to be fine, including like Shirley Steron is is in that thing you do in a very minor like side role. Uh, she is, yeah, she's uh, the first girlfriend for oh, the wow. Tom Everett Scott character, uh, but it's one of her first Hollywood roles. But ever and um, apparently she was also up for the role of Faye, but they're like. Mm. No, not not yet. But uh, like Tom Hanks said, like, oh, we knew she was going to be a star <laughs> with that. And uh, Cameron Diaz, I think this is like one of her earlier roles uh, as well. And like you yeah. with that karaoke scene, it's like, oh, she's going to be around forever. <laughs> <laughs> this is an actress that we'll just be seeing. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see like what. What were what was she doing before this? I'm, lo- I'm trying to look up her her acting credits uh right now this was possibly her first role uh let's see early films uh oh the she was in the mask a few years before so she'd already been in the mask oh that was before okay okay but yeah i mean with this and uh you know that uh, oh my god it's like no no wonder she's been working steadily <laughs> right so George uh, Rupert Everett, I think he's a highlight for almost everyone who watches this film. Most of the reviews I saw were praising. Definitely uh, must be yes. Rupert Everett, Isn't uh, he everyone's favorite. Yeah, he's just <laughs> such the right energy uh, when he's on. And even though they expanded the role from what he had been originally written for, I think they avoided the danger of making like the the spice the the main dish. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like we just get the right amount uh, of George in this film. He's not a stereotype. He's not like overdone. He's just perfectly executed. Mm-hmm. For me, my favorite scene is the end chase and he's having the dinner party and she's on the answering machine <laughs> yelling and just brilliant editing and the whole bit. Well done. Um so my I favorite think- scene is the 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 musical of the restaurant uh that he leads. So both uh you know george scenes and and also him in the church right before that scene Mm. (laughs) delightful yes (laughs) um but i i feel like without him i mean what is the film like jules has no direction without him he is literally leading her on her journey every step of the way of like go do go to the wedding just tell him then now you have to support him now you are this like it's an interesting role for him to have though, because he is the voice of reason that she completely ignores. Like she takes the <laughs> wrong message from everything that he says. <laughs> uh, and and yes, his like the bouncing off of him is like the inciting incidents for her choices. Uh, this is what's going to lead her to act, but it is not what he actually is suggesting she do. <laughs> <laughs> She takes his advice and makes it her own. <laughs> right. Off, off she, she goes. It's almost like she just wants permission to do the crazy idea that she has in her head. And she <laughs> takes whatever sane advice he actually gave as permission to do what she wanted to do. It. <laughs> um, I think it's really important that they're just a friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, gay or not, that, that she has this stable person in her life who's just a friend and that's how it ends is that at least I have my friend. And I, that's the beauty of the ending is that, Oh, she didn't get the guy. She's not alone. She's mm-hmm. she'll be fine. And she has a really great friend. Yeah. And I think it's um, making the character gay. It removes any 
potential like romantic uh future for those yeah, two. Yeah, you, you'd instantly want them to be together, but it's it's just not. It's just a friendship, and that's really beautiful. And movies maybe don't highlight those enough of that 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 can be enough at this time in your life. You don't have to get the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it would have been the John Corbett ending uh, if he had been straight, I think, where like he shows yeah. up at the wedding at the end. Everyone would be like, oh, good. They're going to get together. And him all along. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it wasn't, oh, it was him as a romantic partner. It was him as a best friend, uh, as the director said. All right, let's talk about uh, Michael. Um, what are your thoughts about this character here? I mean, he does not deserve a run through the train station, personally, but (laughs) I don't fully understand the obsession. She, he's never created that, like, worthy of the obsession. Um, He's just fine. Yeah, (laughs) I I think that's maybe why this isn't one of my top films. (laughs) You just were able to identify, and I'm kind of working it out right now, that we are told about how great their relationship was, but I don't know that we're shown how great the relationship is that she's still obsessed with it. And I know mm-hmm. that's part of the idea of this is that, well, he's moved on <laughs> from, from that relationship and, and she hasn't. And so that's like this romanticizing of the past is, is some of the issue that Julianne is going to have to work through uh, with this. But I, I wish we'd seen a little bit more about what made him such a great guy for her. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he so special to him? Like, why is, why is he so special to Kimmy? Like, he's kind of like, what's so great about him? I mean, there's nothing wrong with him, but like, what is this great appeal he has? Mm-hmm. Other than he's Dermot Moroni. Like, yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that. We get it, but <laughs> like, he's, He's an average writer who's still figuring out his career, who, you know, we don't we don't know what his the bait is about him other than visually we can see. Well, yes, I mean, there is that. And uh, like when uh, you have Kimmy, who, again, is coming from a family of millionaires, you feel like most eligible bachelors at her college are probably throwing themselves at her. Yes. <laughs> so what happened in this, you know, for this older guy? And then it's like Julia Roberts, like America's sweetheart. It's like, why is she obsessed uh, with, with, with this man? Uh, and and I don't know that the film really shows us that. Which is fine. It's <clears throat> not what it's about. It's not their great love story. It's Julianne figuring out her life. <laughs> <laughs> by, by ruining it for for two hours but yeah by, by ruining up their wedding but um yeah i've never like been annoyed that we don't know more about him that we don't understand their the dynamics of each of their relationships um he's just not a a fascinating character of the film right and uh like with some of those other acting or actor choices like if it had been like a, a matthew mcconaughey like there's there's just a different energy that would have been brought to it that I don't know mm-hmm. that would have been better or worse. It just would have been, it would have felt different. I'm sure. It probably would have stolen more of the show. Like he's, he's a scene scene stealer. Like you, mm-hmm. you look at Matthew McConaughey when he's on camera and, and Dermot could kind of blend in like the baseball game. You're like, Oh yeah, there he is. He's that guy. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it works for the film. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I have no complaints about it. Yeah. I, I think Matthew McConaughey would have been too much <laughs> uh, for the story that we're being told. 
Yeah. And I, I, I think when you said like, I don't know that he like deserves a chase through, <laughs> through a train station. I think that's right for this film. Cause the point is he, he doesn't. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, like Julianne is, is creating a version of him that's worthy of the chase through the train station, but where they're <laughs> at, at age 28, that's not it. <laughs> because who deserves a chase through the train station is Kimmy mm-hmm. and she gets it. He's chasing her. Right. And, and that we get, like she is beautiful and she is smart and she is wealthy and like, and for the reason she's willing to give up her, her architect career for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he should be chasing her. Like he is after her and that makes sense. It's the, you know, and, and Kimi's not going to chase after him. Like, he gets somebody else. She's going to run from him. He, she's not going to, you know, be the one being like, no, I fight for me, fight for him. It's she leaves and he chases. And then Julian's chasing after them with no good reason. <laughs> oh, it, it, there's so much about this film that gets like it becomes more interesting the more we start to take it apart, I think. Mm hmm. And that's a sign of a good film uh, that it's not like it's falling apart. It's like, oh, you know what? Do I do I is it does it bother me that he's kind of a flat character? No, actually, that might be perfect. It's not a mistake. It was it was uh, well thought thought through. Uh, do you have any favorite moments of the film that you want to give a little highlight to? Oh, my gosh. It's just the entire film. <laughs> Every scene. Um, but. I feel like I said a lot of them, the, the, the church scene um, right before the, the lunch. I love the lunch, of course. I mean, who doesn't? But I love when he, Kimmy's squealing at him. And that's also another sign of like her confidence is that she's so happy for Jules and her man that it's not even stealing her wedding. It's I'm such a confident person that you can mm-hmm. have this too at the same time, which a lot of characters are written to be competitive and, and petty. not. Yeah. I mean, Jules is. <laughs> um, the entire end sequence at the wedding of like Jules storming around and, you know, oh, she's from New York and the ice, the ice sculpture scene. Like, who writes that? Like, where she like licks it and is stuck and it's just like a sidebar thing of the cousins. It's, it's so good. Um, and this this speech of um, your pond scum, the, the pus that eats on this, on eats on this, that eats on pond scum is just great writing, mm-hmm. and and a great delivery. To his credit, Michael, he does he he does good in the scenes. He's just the character's just flat, but yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Kate, for coming on to talk about one of your favorite movies. And uh, like I said, I, I was excited to talk about like the subversion of the romantic comedy trope. Uh, but the more that we talked about some of the other choices in here, the more I kind of like liked more and more about this film. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it this deeply before and it's still a great film. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes when we I, in our 500 episodes or 450 episodes that we've done uh, of, of this podcast so far, there have been times where we're like talking deeply about it. And it's like, uh, you know what? It's kind of falling apart under scrutiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we want to do. We always want to celebrate the positive, but it has happened in the history of this show. We're just like, Oh, maybe, maybe that character's not as good as I thought. Uh, <laughs> but this is one that I, you know, it's like, Oh, you know what? I'm digging into it. And I'm, I'm liking it more and more. Not the best character, but 
great film mm-hmm. as they treat the character. And and I think this is one of those films where like there's all these things I can point to that I love, like the Rupert Everett, uh, like the chase scene, like you know, like like the musical numbers that they they seed throughout the film, like Cameron Diaz's performances. Uh, and yet, I think the film as a whole is still elevated beyond each one of those things that, that I love. Like, it all comes together and has actually more than those parts, even as I'm identifying the parts I love. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. All right. I believe that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Talkdew, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. also on twitter you can follow uh, no wait i don't do that anymore <laughs> it's in the script but no and certainly if this is releasing in 2024 <laughs> that, that may not exist <laughs> <Sorry>. <clears throat>